0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the training make podcast. I am joined by Max Ada.
1: How are you guys doing? Uh,
0: I am the host, Zach Tellender. We were on a little bit of a break. Uh, I went on vacation, which was much needed for me. I was in the upper peninsula, of Michigan, then back in Chicago, and it was awesome. But now I'm back and we're, uh, we're cracking down on these podcasts here. So hopefully we're a little bit consistent in the future. Um, but I can't make any promises because, Max, you're doing a, a world championships soon, right?
1: Uh, I will be there, yeah. I'll be in uh, Thailand, Tokyo, you know, Worlds, and then got a whole bunch of other trips I got after that. Bunch Stay of other away meets. from
0: those uh, lady boys, would you? <laughs> <laughs> I just hope
1: that—well, we don't have to worry about them in the competition. Thailand's out. Oh, that's out. right. Yeah, Thailand's
0: yeah. out. And, and those are for sure hopped up on androgen lady boys. Whoa! <laughs> uh uh yeah so um you got that and uh we've got the the juggernaut team for the ao final uh looks is gonna be pretty awesome
1: yeah that'll be, the, be the last uh the last meet but there's about 1500 things in between now and then so
0: right right that's like 14 weeks from now yeah uh, juggernaut team looks solid yeah
1: a lot of people coming in
0: so uh let's get to the topic today i want to talk about um hobby hobbyists Mm -hmm. for weightlifting uh amateurs and professionals or elites uh and the reason why i want to talk about it is because oftentimes people can maybe not use calling themselves hobbyist as an excuse but it certainly is a crutch, um, and I want to hmm. get your take on this, because from co- from a coaching perspective, at least at least my perspective, I want every athlete to advance uh, every cycle. You know, I, I think you've said this before that an athlete should expect to increase their total until the end of their career, right? You you should you should expect that. Yeah, I mean, um, in, in I guess the end of your a, ma- a master's level. If you're a master's level lifter or something like that, it, it it's different. But let's say like, you know, and this is a very generalization, but let's just say you're 18 years old. By the time you become a master's lifter, you should still be increasing your your total up up to that point. And obviously, training age determines this. But right, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, I would say that probably the the more accurate statement is that your your career is kind of at its end once you've ceased to improve right. on your total. So, so it might you, be
0: determined kind of the opposite way.
1: Then. Well, yeah, I mean, it's more like, you know, if you're a DMOS and you're doing the same 380, 390 kilo total as a 85 for five years, 10 years, like, yeah, you're still competitive, I guess. Um, so that would really not be that that would be a case where that doesn't hold true but i think for the most part you know once your total ceases to improve then then it just becomes a matter of how long can you remain competitive and that might be 10 years might be a year just depends on on that and doesn't mean that your career has to stop it just means that you know essentially you're 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 trying to improve your total every year if it's not improving then then you know you got to look at what you're you know What the the reason why is I guess and if that's so,
0: so like I guess I guess my point with this is that, you know, I want to treat someone as if at some point they're going to be they're going to be optimizing there, and and whether that means that they'll be elite or not, I'm going to treat them kind of the same. Um, and the issue with this is like if you have that hobbyist mindset, kind of that gym Bro ish mindset um, when when the rubber hits the road, so to speak. It's uh, it, that is where you kind of determine, like, oh, I'm just a hobbyist. I'm going to back off a little bit. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I want to kind of get your take on what you should, like, how how should you determine this before you start? Like, what and and what what does it mean to be a hobbyist or or an amateur or an elite lifter or a pro lifter?
1: Um, my take is a little bit different. I, whenever I get a, like a new client, a new athlete I'm working with, um, they all get sent out a a pretty large questionnaire that, that kind of asks some questions and and I kind of give people the opportunity to inform me of their level of commitment to the sport. And, you know, I would say there's maybe like three to five levels, just depends how you break it down. But, you know, there's basically like, like somebody who's... Who's serious, or well, somebody who's not serious, who's casual, who's more interested in maybe learning how to do the lifts, learning how to, you know, incorporate this stuff into something else. There would be somebody who's moderately, you know, serious, who, who, you know, is basically gonna, gonna do training that, that involves the Olympic lifts and is, you know, gonna put in whatever effort they can day to day to accomplish that goal. Then there's somebody who's, you know, you know, very serious, somebody who's willing to, you know, understand that, that training hard is really important, that they have to, you know, they're going to be ups and downs, they're going to have to fight through stuff. But if push comes to shove, you know, and they have to make some arrangements here and there to to commit to this or commit to that, like then way that then lifting is on the back burner. And then the final level is what I would call, I usually just call professional, um, or basically, just just you know somebody who who understands this concept, and the concept is, you don't go into the gym for your health. You go into the gym to give away your health, uh, and in exchange for giving away your health, you gain excellence in the sport. And the big distinction there, the difference between being professional in the sport versus being what I would consider a hobbyist, which is every other level, is that. Being a professional and and committing to this is is everything. It it requires a sacrifice of not only your time, your effort, but every decision you make has to first run through the filter of is this something that benefits weightlifting? Is this something that that benefits my lifting? Do I need to do this? If that means you have to, you know, you have to skip friends, uh, you know, events, you have to skip. Uh, you know, flying to your, your, you know, wherever, traveling to this or that, or you know, that you have to sacrifice your free time in exchange for recovering and those things. Um, it's more than just saying it, it's the actual act of doing it. And also understand that at the professional level, at that top level, you are living that statement. You are going into the gym and there are things you're going to do that are bad for you. There are things that put you in potentially at risk of getting injured because you're training much much harder that you are going to competition knowing that you know you're gonna put things on the line that you're gonna take lifts that are that are you know designed to excel designed to put you further in the competition it's not for fun anymore Uh, it's for the outcome right so the process is not it is no longer a an activity that that gives you the enjoyment you're looking for in life, it is an activity that leads to the thing that satisfies your desire to be great. Uh, And so that's a huge distinction between those two levels. You can be a hobbyist and train really fucking hard, right? You can train super hard, you can be tough as nails and push yourself and all those things and that's awesome, but it's a very different world to be a hobbyist than it is to be on the professional level where you are willing to sacrifice a lot of things that uh, others aren't.
0: So I think I'm, I'm going to kind of challenge this a little bit because, in, okay, so this is kind of a little bit of a long-winded um, mm-hmm. point or question, but to to shorten it, doesn't everyone get to that point? I mean, at some point, your snatch and your clean and jerk is going to stop. And then you're going to have to make some further commitment to the sport to push it again. And then it'll stop again. And you'll have to make some further commitment to the sport and it'll stop again. You know, and those commitments can be in, in, in a way, it can be more frequency. It can be longer sessions. It can be better nutrition, better sleep, sacrifices uh, as far as like social situations like you talked about. But doesn't everyone get to that point? I no. mean, at some at, at some point, you have to make a decision, right? Because it's going to stop.
1: I mean, d- definitely not. Very much that no one, not many people, get to that point. Actually, most people find a way to create a, a reason Novelty or a lot. No, they they find a way to create logic that either supports the idea of not going beyond that point. Right? They they find excuses. They or or they just don't go to that level, um, or they just cannot, you know, they, they don't need to get that level. They, they get to a point where they're satisfied with what they've done and they move on. In fact, I would argue that more people don't get to that point than actually do.
0: So, so like, so, so I don't want to put words in your mouth here just to kind of expand on that, mm-hmm. like, like um, say someone gets up to a hundred kilo snatch and they're snatching that for on and off for about a year. Mhm. Uh you what you're kind of getting at is that there may be external things in their mind that can come in and kind of give them leeway as to why they're not improving. And then no, at it's, some point oh. they can kind of like get satisfied with with what they're doing. Or or is it or am I kind of off on that? No,
1: no, what I'm saying more with the different levels of people and commitment is it is it is essentially a contract with themselves as to the degree to which they want to put effort or energy or time into the sport. And maybe it's not effort or energy. Let's just say the 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 contract they're signing is one that is what are you giving up to get out to get something out of the sport. And this doesn't mean that somebody who's snatching hundred kilos isn't putting in maybe more work, more training, thinking harder, trying harder, all these things than somebody who's, you know, snatching 150 kilos, it's that the people that are in the, the classification of professional are have, have made amends and are okay with the the concept that they are going to give up their health in exchange for results in the sport. And that, that, that kind of comes down to they're willing to do whatever it takes and, and it be okay with those decisions to get the results they're trying to get. And, and you know it oftentimes just manifests itself as sacrifice sacrificing time, sacrificing events, sacrificing finances, um, making commitments that you know essentially could could lead you to have nothing in the end. You could you know certainly not get to your goals. Whereas the hobbyists are people that are not okay making that contract, not signing that contract. They're not going to give up, you know, all of the little niceties in their life to make that happen. Um, right. You know.
0: Would you say that those people then are, are going to avoid that point? I mean, yeah, going I think to avoid I think that exact thing you just said. They're just
1: like, not going to get there because they've already, you know, they've already committed to. It. It's like, how hard do you want to train? How hard are you willing to, to to train? Yeah, and and it's not to say that people aren't willing to train as hard as everybody else. I mean, I would be willing to bet that the people that train the hardest are probably the people not at the top. They're probably just below the top, or maybe a little bit lower, because they're the kind of people that are really, really good at training, but not quite as good at competitions. And, and you see that's that kind of skill set is a little bit different. Maybe they're just a little bit less good in meats, but they train like maniacs, right? They train right. harder than most people. Um, they, you know it's like the, the people in that top 80% are probably the most you know like man they're they're awesome in the gym. So it's not a matter of like how hard are you training or whatever. It's a matter of being okay with and and committing to the idea of sacrificing all of those things. And, and, you know, expecting that that, you know, you could easily end up hurt or injured or, you know, broke or all these things. Right. It's it's that commitment into the sport. And so that's the big difference between hobbyist professionals.
0: Well, well, I would say that they're going to be they're going to they would rather make up some sort of excuse uh, for their complacency or, or whatever, rather than admit that exact thing you said. Right. So it's like. How much are you willing to sacrifice? Well, you know, Joe Schmo sacrifices five to six days a week, training one and a half to two hours, sometimes two and a half hours a day. Um, And that person has done that for two years. But Joe Schmo also likes to, you know, go out on the weekends and doesn't really want to compete and doesn't want to put himself in that position. Would you say that – I mean, I I personally would think that that person – is more likely to say i i' I'm close to my potential i you know I think uh what whatever you know i have sacrificed a lot and maybe this is about as far as I can get yeah I think rather I think, th- rather than being like Oh shit, I'm not sleeping enough or like mm-hmm. um i'm not I'm not committing like more of my mental capacity to this sport I'm not reaching out to coaches I'm not doing this this, and this
1: yeah, I think you have there's, there's definitely like, you know, there's kind of the psychological factor of like, you know, y- you might, you might say one thing, but believe another, you know, you, you might say to yourself or say publicly to people like, Oh, I've, I've reached my ability, right? Or, Oh, I, I'm, you know, whatever, like, this is as far as I can get, I just not willing to do that. But deep down, it might be that, you know, you, you kind of just don't want to go any further, you're, you're okay with where you're at. Uh, which is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with, like, not wanting to be a weightlifter or not wanting to push yourself to ridiculous levels. In I mean, fact, it's kind of smart. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's never a, it's never an ego thing. It's just a matter of, like, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people will find a way to justify their decisions, you know, whether it's through any number of means, whether it's blaming the, the, the situations you have, like, oh, well, you know, China has great gyms, so I can't be good, or... Um, You know, I was born with long legs, so I can't ever be good at cleaning jerks or whatever. So I'm just going to stop. You know, it's it's easy to find those excuses, but they're really just probably justifications for the the underlying thing, which is, you know, I'm just not that into it. I'm just not that, I'm not at that level. I'm not really ready to commit to that level. I don't have the, the emotional or psychological, you know, fortitude to go to that level Whatever it is, it's just a matter of, like, the words people say don't necessarily indicate what the beliefs are underlying them.
0: Right. Well, if I, I, I have the definition of hobby pulled up here. Mm. Um, an activity done regularly in one's leisure time for pleasure. Yep. Uh, and the first thing, uh, the first example is her hobbies are reading and gardening. And then also an archaic. Do you know that there's like an archaic definition when you look look up in the dictionary? So, like, I didn't know that. (laughs) The the archaic definition of hobby is a small horse or pony.
1: (laughs) Oh, I've heard that. I I knew that.
0: Yeah. But, uh, you know, I I don't like to think of weightlifting in that way because. Like
1: a pony? (laughs) No. The legs are the snatch, and the body is the clean and jerk I like and to the head more, is the the head is the coach
0: right I like to think of it more like a giraffe yeah <laughs> than, a, than a small horse or a pony uh no i I don't like to think of it as a as a as a hobby because you know maybe you're looking at reading um and you're saying, I want to improve my reading mm hmm Maybe you're looking at gardening and you're like, I want to improve my gardening. But you don't have um, – you're not trying to gather intelligence on like your previous reading experiences and gardening experiences I think, and then I trying think people, to set forth.
1: I think people uh, do that with hobbies. I think they put a lot of like –
0: to a, To a certain extent though, Max. I mean think about – when when you get to a certain level at something you can kind of learn and adapt and change and learn and adapt and change but there is always that point where like okay you know um you're gonna have to make that further further commitment and i think you know weightlifting like let's let's not forget like weightlifting is an olympic sport and the main reason why people are doing it in globo gyms is because there are barbells, there's weightlifting equipment there. You know, it's people aren't doing it throwing the jab. They're not learning how to throw the jab or mm. throw the shot. They're not learning how to throw the hammer because those pieces of equipment aren't in Globo gyms.
1: Could you imagine if there was fucking javelins and 24 hour fitness? Oh, oh, people would absolutely how many,
0: destroy their arms.
1: How many people would be dead?
0: Well, dead, but. People would be
1: throwing dude, that shit around. How cool would it be though? Can you imagine the kind of exercises there'd be? People on like a cable push down with a javelin in one hand and like (laughs) it would be fucking awesome.
0: But like so so uh you know, um just just as a side note, there's a there's a ton of there's a ton of Tommy John surgeries for javelin. Yeah, it's brutal Um, on your
1: it's brutal on your body.
0: It's yeah. Um I coached a lot of jab throwers at uh in and it was a ton of fun. One of them was probably the freakiest athlete I've ever. There's stu- Justin to.
1: Myers was a javelin thrower.
0: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Um but but so so my point being is like people walk into the sport because it's 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 it's, it's a hobby similar to the way that um a a bodybuilder or a jo- uh, a gym bro you know, a typical Chad would walk into the gym and be like, I like to deadlift and squat mm-hmm. and, and bench press because it makes me feel good. That guy is yeah. not a power lifter. Yeah. The, the guy who snatches and clean and jerks and says, I like to do it because it makes me feel good and it's fun. That guy is not a weightlifter. Right. That, that's, I would say, I like to think of weightlifting more like an amateurish, like amateurism. Um, similar to like cycling, amateur cycling is like brutally intense Mm -hmm. because guys just become psychos. And you would say that, uh, amateur, like a lot of endurance sports, amateur running, amateur triathlons, those guys become absolute psychos around Mm -hmm. this. Um, and that's what I'm, that's kind of more the line that I see in weightlifting. You know what I mean? And then maybe hobby is more like the guy who's gone from CrossFit to being like, oh, I want to focus on bodybuilding, but I don't want to forget about how to snatch because I like snatching. You know, that's more of a hobbyist, if that kind of makes sense. At least yeah. In my opinion.
1: Yeah, sure. I, th- I think that the, the summation of, of you know, uh, a hobbyist is defined by somebody who goes in and does the, the sport of weightlifting to. To gain enjoyment from the act of doing the sport, right? Someone who comes in to enjoy weightlifting, to participate because they enjoy that. And then a professional is somebody who, you know, who goes in to do weightlifting to gain the rewards of what success in weightlifting is, right? So you go in to win meets, you go in to to place high, to lift big numbers, to do these things because of what weightlifting provides post-activity
0: right all right that's enough for the topic i want to go into to A, man cool uh first on inf- question on, on my Sorry. instagram yeah what, what first question
1: what? what's a hobbyist
0: yeah yeah let's talk about that <laughs> uh first question is a hot dog a sandwich
1: depends what you put on it it depends it depends that's a good one that's a good question uh it's not it's a hot dog. Yeah, it's a hot dog. Yeah. Cause, cause that's definitely meat, not a sandwich.
0: Here, here's a reason cuz the meat is closed in one like piece like one casing. Cuz the meat the is casing. a tube. The tube. The tubeness of it. No, but at for real um we're going to get into Q&A Q here. Uh we're going to try to do the back end of uh, the next couple episodes will be Q&A. I will post the the question thing on my Instagram usually. So if you guys Yeah. Uh, you know the podcast
1: has become that. a party up front or i'm sorry actually it's a business up front party in the rear
0: right uh let's talk okay let's see here um there's some good ones. What did your macro cycle look like as a beginner, intermediate and now advanced and i'm gonna I'll, I'll start with this one, Max, yeah, and then you would talk about ideal because the way that I did was not ideal at all,
1: yeah, I was just gonna say that
0: yeah so so like um i started in crossfit so if you're a, if you want to be a weightlifter it's not ideal to start in crossfit and it is i it's it's ideal to like move well and to build capacity and to build kind of that fight and i think that gpp training can do that and i think mm-hmm. that a crossfit environment can do that but when you start getting into like that pr mentality Um, in CrossFit, nothing, absolutely zero good can come from it. Yeah. Um, so what I, my macro cycle was just non-existent. I used to follow, do you remember the outlaw way?
1: Yeah. Rudy.
0: Yeah. Rudy Nielsen. Really, really, uh, not a shining star as far as a character goes. Uh, he, he, there's some messed up stories about him, uh, but we won't get into those. Uh, I'm sure he's a better guy now. Um, but I used to follow that religiously and it was just percentage work. And after that, we would do a wad and, and, uh, I just kept doing that. And I would, I would lift heavy often with bad technique. I wouldn't auto-regulate, um, because I was like, you know, it's just weightlifting, you know, it's like just work really hard. Uh, when I got intermediate, I guess that was when I started to compete and I, and I still... I still had that same mindset, but I started to think, okay, let's get my front squat stronger and my back squat stronger and pull stronger and just kind of still go for that. Now my macro cycle that I would say that I'm advanced is it's less is more. I think my last uh, macro cycle was indicative of like, how much i've changed as a weightlifter um and i think max you could probably attest to mm-hmm. this i you you saw me at on it and yeah. uh my technique was vastly better than what you've seen before right Like mm-hmm. when you say and it was all because of my mode of training had improved like tremendously i would instead of trying to kill myself in a clean and jerk workout just by brute force i would work up to something decently heavy and then i would try to do more auto-regulated front squats uh so i could build fatigue to a similar movement of the the clean and jerk without actually just burying myself Um, and i would do that in the snatch and i would do it very consistently and i would hold myself to that standard if i ever grinded on anything i was like Really, kind of embarrassed, um, and that's my mentality going forward. And and now that I want to push past, you know, a three ten total, it's going to take a lot more of that. It's just it's just more and more of, of what I did in the last cycle. Um, but what I want to I want to send this question to you: What would be the ideal way to structure a macro cycle? Basically, meaning like a four to twelve week um, cycle as a beginner and then intermediate, and then advanced.
1: You know, the so the biggest thing that, that has to be sort of laid out is that the contents of training don't change with the experience level of the athlete. The dosage of training should change. Beginners should still do snatches and clean and jerks, you know, all of these things, just as a, as advanced lifters would it's the dosage that they would be doing. So the amount of snatches and clean and jerks in proportion to total training volume should be much lower for a, uh, you know, for a a very new lifter compared to someone who is, you know, very much more experienced. And it, it goes without saying that, you know, if you're brand new to snatch and clean and jerk, if it's your first, you know, three weeks or first month in the gym, um, your program is going to include a lot of general exercises to help bring up your GPP. As time progresses, that proportion shifts and the dosages start to increase. So your first month or first year in the gym should be a different total volume than your 15th year in the gym. Um, and so understanding that that while the contents don't change and the dosage does, that's the guiding sort of principle of of managing the training of younger athletes versus older athletes or less experienced versus more experienced. Outside of that, the biggest thing is about for weightlifters, the technical aspects of learning to lift needs to be primary. So when you're doing early, you know, when you're a, a beginner athlete training snatch and clean jerk, you need to learn the skills. You need to learn how to do snatch and clean jerk. So most of your volume is going to look like some kind of basic progression a lot of work on the classic exercises in addition to whatever drills you know are necessary for you to progress very little attention and work should be given to absolute strength exercises not a lot of ex- effort should be driven into squatting heavy pulling um, any strength exercises that you're including in those training cycles early on should h- kind of fit two criteria one is that they should, serve to strengthen muscles that will not be strengthened by doing the lift directly. So that would include things like, you know, maybe your your, uh, your lats and, and upper back, um, hamstrings, these kind of things, quads, right? Like muscles that will that, while they do get worked by the Olympic lifts, could be augmented a little bit by the use of these exercises. Obviously, within the right parameters, you're not going to, you know, because you need strong legs, you're not going to just fucking squat your face off. And then the second parameter would be that they prevent potential injuries that we know can occur. So exercises like snatch grip push presses and wide grip, you know, uh, uh, sorry, snatch grip press, pressing, these kind of exercises that we know your shoulders and elbows and wrists are susceptible to injury, especially early on, because it's an unnatural thing to hold something over your head like that. Um, you know, that would be the other example of using strength exercises in the program. As time goes on, you know, more advanced athletes, these exercises take more of a center stage where the increase in, you know, absolute strength is a bigger indicator of success where doing things like same kind of things, snatch, push presses, etc., overhead strength exercises are going to have a bigger impact on the results. So they should be driven as such, be be done with more volume, be pushed harder. You're trying to bring up the strength of your legs deliberately, um, whereas in the beginner beginner cycles, you're focused more on using them as an auxiliary thing to help facilitate the learning of the technique. Uh, And then you obviously, beyond that, it's gonna be just a matter of changing the distribution, changing the amount of volume you're doing, the intensity of training, uh, you know, the duration of your training cycles, the duration of your training sessions, the amount of, uh, you know, exercises that are included in the program. But that that's the basic, you know, yeah.
0: big picture thing. That question was from Fro4Days. Thank you for the question. Uh, the next question is from Michaela, M, Micha- Michaela McCreary.
1: Not Michaela Breeze?
0: Not Michaela Breeze. What is the most important thing a new weightlifter should know? And I'm going to keep this one short, but I think mm-hmm. uh set realistic expectations. Yep. Um and That's then and, and just from there that means like typically low expectations because um you can always be do better than yep. your expectations and I think there this kind of um back in in the 90s there was a lot of like tell yourself you're the best and tell yourself you can do anything and and that actually was proven to be kind of a flawed way of looking at really accomplishing anything and i think in weightlifting just set yourself up so that you can kind of succeed you know every day every week every month
1: yep i like the 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 statement low expectations high standards right set your expectations low but set your standards very high
0: Uh, let's see here. Tips on, and this one's from JM training tips on recruiting new members to my barbell club. I would say just everything you do, you know, around your barbell club needs to be, um, at the best possible, you know, output you can do, whether that's content, whether that's your own training. I think for me, it's like, I've, in the past year i've taken a lot of pride in my own movement um and and it does change the way that the guys in my barbell club uh look it's it changes the way they train and when you get better movers you get better content you get better and and you get more traction i think just in every aspect that you can control be better
1: yep i would agree that the 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 best way to to sustain in this kind of industry is to focus on the things that you have control of you know spend the time becoming a really good coach but outside of that hone your craft hone your 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 skills right um constantly reevaluate and ask yourself if you could do a better job of what you're doing and then focus primarily on the most simple things don't get don't get caught up in trying to you know be flashy or have something no one else has you know um, like buying thick-handled dumbbells for, you know, $5,000. While it might be cool to say you have thick-handled dumbbells. No one will ever come to your fucking gym because you have thick-handled dumbbells. Right. Um, So, you know, but if you put in a ton of work and you show up as a great coach and other people talk about how fantastic it is to work with you, then their friends are going to come and they're going to come train with you because they're like, yeah, I got a great recommendation.
0: Yep. I treat... You know, uh, treat every day like it's your Super Bowl, and treat every yeah. athlete like they're like they're elite.
1: That means know? get fucking shit-faced every night, the champagne yeah, afterward. <laughs> Is that that's kind of I what just you meant, show right? Up hung I'm over, fucked up, or just, or you lost, so you're just miserable all the time.
0: <laughs> um, as a fellow giraffe, uh, this one's from Uh-oh. Iron Blonde. As a fellow giraffe. Are there specific exercises you would recommend for taller people? Uh, I would say in the snatch, um, anything bottom position. Uh, I think the bottom position is, it's so underrated. I think we all focus so much. It depends on where you come from, right? If you come from athletics, typically people like to pull the bar high. I'm taller, so when I learned, I could always power snatch very well. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is just develop the shit out of my bottom position, um, because at a certain point, you just cannot get the barbell any higher. You just can't. Um, so the idea then is to, is to learn how to fixate as best you can. Mm-hmm. So anything bottom position in the snatch. In the clean, uh, for my particular case, it is build fatigue with heavier loads in the safest way possible. And I found that um, it helped you know talking to you about that max mm-hmm. you really described it as like okay in the snatch you can kind of progressively you know you can go for it you can go heavy you can just be like i'm gonna go heavy in the snatch but in the clean if you want to develop the clean and jerk later in your career you gotta fight for it <laughs> like those yeah. sessions are they're going to suck yeah um and for me it's like i can't afford to have bad cleans at heavy weights because I will get injured I will yeah so I have to be able to build fatigue with the front squat with clean pulls mm-hmm. um, and then also get some heavy lifts as well as far as drills I really think that um, taller people need to learn how to use their arms I think everyone needs to learn yeah, how to use their arms in the clean uh, and one of my favorite drills is the, the, the hang power clean um, but with, without contact, kind of like coming from the point of contact and just pulling, Mm -hmm. uh, it's rare that people kind of train like that. Uh, and, and for me, like I strap in and I'll stand up and just kind of grip and rip and I can really get a lot of trap, uh, engagement. And, and that really helps me fixate. Uh, that also just gives me confidence in the top half of a clean. Yep. Uh, outside of that, that's pretty much it. Uh, anything max with you? I I think you hit it
1: all pretty much I mean the big one the big one is just more like um you know I think you you nailed it all there and the easiest way to sum it up is don't be afraid of your weaknesses you gotta spend a lot of time especially as a taller lifter really emphasizing the areas you're bad at and it's going to be the bottom position is like number one and then don't don't rely on the shit you're good at don't be the king of fucking power cleans and power snatches do them, but don't sit there and, and you know stroke your ego because you're great at one thing, but you're shitty at another. Just get comfortable with the areas you need to work on and spend a lot of time there.
0: Uh, from Alan Thrall's video. Oh, that was – yeah, that was from I – I don't know. Thank you for that question. This one is from Dumpkin Donuts. Um, hashtag relatable. <laughs> it's like one of those memes. I don't know. That wasn't very funny. Uh. From Alan Thrall's vid, will you still go to the gym knowing you'll never set a PR again? So I actually saw this video from Alan Thrall. He's not really chasing any PRs right now. He's just focusing on being healthy. He's lost a ton of weight. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Alan, he's a super nice guy. My answer is right now, absolutely not. Um, in I won't go to the gym as a weightlifter. I will not be a weightlifter right now in my stage of my career unless I know that I'm going to PR at the end of it. Um, and, and let me like really clarify that I'm much more of a process oriented lifter. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to say, Oh, you know, I want to hit this number and this number, but I expect to gain kilos on my lifts from competition to competition. That's what I expect. Yeah. Um, there will be a point where I say, you know what? No longer. I don't want to be a weightlifter anymore. You know, I want to just go to the gym. Absolutely, I'll keep going to the gym. And I'll know probably I'll never be able to snatch 140 again. Right? There, there will be that point, and I will still go to the gym. No question. Yeah. But right now, in preparation for the American Open Finals, in preparation for 2020 Nationals, I would not fucking step in the gym unless if it's towards directed towards my goal of, of setting PRs. Yeah. Um, and I think so. So there's just two, two different, two different mindsets there. Uh, let's see here. Let's see if we can get one more directed to you. Uh, there's a lot of people asking about predictions for Thailand and I just, Uh. I don't want to get into that. um, Let's see here. Someone's
1: gonna bomb out. Someone in so- all of the 500 lifters that are there will bomb
0: out. <laughs> someone is going. In each category, there will be someone to lift enough that will get them yeah, the gold medal. There's gonna
1: be 15. I'm gonna say 20 winners, 20 gold medalists at this one.
0: Nice. That's a really solid uh, bet. I think solid I'd bet. Say it's an 80% chance that that's gonna
1: happen. 98% of the people there will die at some point in their life.
0: Uh, let's see here. Uh, hip position. This one's from check uh, hip position, importance of the hip position in the start of the snatch or the clean. And we're going to finish it with this one, but Max, I'm going to let you take this one. What's the importance of the hip positioning in the snatch or the clean?
1: The importance of it. That's yeah, a well, vague I, question. I, I guess um, let's, it's let's important. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: Let's try to give the person the benefit. Of I mean, the doubt so here.
1: there's a different anatomical structure to everyone's body, right? Certain lifters are going to be taller, some are shorter, long femurs, short femurs, right? So your, your positioning of your hip is going to change in the start position based on those factors. In addition to that, it's going to be based on where you're strongest, where you're weak. If you have an incredibly strong back, which is also, you know, your strength is also going to be Um, determined to some degree by your anatomy as well. But if you got a super strong back, super weak legs, you're going to start to move your hips up because it's going to feel more comfortable to use that kind of position. Um, Everyone's going to need to find something that works best for them, that's most comfortable, that makes the most sense, that allows them to operate properly and lift with the greatest degree of consistency and the greatest degree of efficiency. So, you know, as vague a question as it is, I mean – hip position is something that you're gonna to have to determine on your own based on practice, experience, what's what's ideal versus what's not ideal. I can tell you that a really, really high hip position, same as a really, really low hip position, the start, both of those are extremes, right? There, there's probably people, there's definitely people that have lifted with both of those situations and lifted well, um, but they're extreme. So it's it's gonna be less of those people. Um, there was a guy I think uh, Sergo Chikoyan years ago that always looked like his hips were like almost above his shoulders in the start position. Um, but he was you know snatch one eighty five as a eighty five, so like super strong, you know. And then obviously you see people you see people that have really low positions in the hips when they start pulling. Um, right. they may move the bar around their knees more. It's it's just a matter of what's going to be the most effective. From I think. Yeah. Yes, go keep going. Say from from the perspective of asking this question, you're probably looking for, you know, what's it, i maybe you start with your hips in a non-ideal or non-traditional position. Is that beneficial to you? Is it something that you can say I am an outlier, this works for me, I'm going to do this? Or is it something that you're saying like you're just doing it wrong and it just feels right because that's all you've really done? I would suggest you learn to operate. You learn to do the lifts with multiple, you know, through through a range of motion, the range of positions. Start low and work with that for a little bit. Start high and work with that for a little bit. Find a position that actually maximizes your ability to generate force and maximize your your ability to do the lifts correctly and sustainably.
0: Yeah, I think there is no law to to where the hips should be. Right. Uh, and, and that... Um, I think that there are certain positions that a lifter should be in during the pull and the hip position during the start should dictate that. Uh, a lot of times what you'll see is people kind of they see success with certain styles of pulls and maybe because they're not as experienced, they'll get success in that style. But then later on, as more load is added, you have these kind of misconnections throughout the lift. And that's where adjustments need to be made. Um, I, I myself have started to focus more on just core pressure and, and, um, and really slowing down my first pull so that I can extend longer in the second pull. And typically, what this is like, this has actually resulted in a higher hip position. But you got to know if you have your hips up higher, the likelihood that your hips get out of position mm-hmm. um, are higher. Right, because, uh, you know, if you pull using the legs, the knees come back and the hips can come up at a higher rate than the shoulders can come up. So if you have a high hip position and your hips come up and the shoulders stay at the same angle, you now have more of a distance to bring the shoulders back. Contrary to that, if your hips are low and your shoulders are back and you pull, and you keep that low position with the shoulders back you now have zero leverage on the bar later in the pull and i see this one a ton right so you see chinese lifters they set up with super vertical sh- uh super vertical shanks if you will <laughs> <laughs> uh torsos and um when they pull their knees get back and their torso angle, it's hard to see if it even changes at all. Uh, and, and a lot of people are like, okay, those guys are the best. So all I'm going to do is pull my chest up and keep pulling it up, 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 up. And then now what you see is when the bar gets in contact, uh, whether it's the high thigh in the clean and jerk or, or the clean and in the snatch, if it's the hip, you'll see that that person's shoulders are already behind the bar. Uh, and, and from there, it's just falling and, and catching and kind of rolling the dice. So that's my take on that. Um, Max, do you have anything to add on that one? No, I
1: think that that sums up a vague question like that.
0: Okay. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. That does it for this episode. Again, I, I think this is a good structure. We'll, we'll do a topic yeah. in the front half and then questions in the second half. Uh, check out the YouTube channel. Uh, Alex, my editor, does a really good job with those. Training Make podcast on YouTube. Uh, You'll find us on a bunch of different places. Uh, Thank you guys for listening.